seems uh, that the weather cooled off just a little bit. That's good news. So uh, today, first of all, I have to apologize for my allergies. Um, they are in full bloom, I guess. The, and so I'll probably be sniffing and crying. And it's a good way to hide tears, even if I get emotional, right? The allergy excuse. Um, and uh, if you haven't been over to check out the new building recently, then you should go and do that because uh, the men there have been making amazing uh, strides on getting it put together. So it looks like a total different place, uh, totally different than it did two weeks ago. So it's going up like crazy. So, well, uh, let's pray and then we'll dive into our scripture. Dear Jesus, I thank you for every person that's here today. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come here and be with us and help us to understand the text that you've put before us today. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to worship, to sing out your praises, God, because we are so thankful that you made us and that you made the things around us so that we can see you. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus who saves us from our sin and forgives us life in heaven. We'll live forever, God, when we put our faith in you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. So today, um, we are going to go through 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We're right in the middle of a series called Serious Living, taking our lives seriously and living for real and on purpose. Now, we do not serve a fake God. It is a real God that we serve, a real God that has made us and has put us here on this earth. We are here for a real reason. Our lives are not pointless. My purpose in this series is to exhort you, to motivate you to seize the day for God's kingdom, to grab your life by the horns and to make it submit to God's will. Now, that phrase, grab it by the horns, I'm not exactly sure where that comes from, but I know we have some steer wrestlers here in this room right now. I personally have never wrestled a steer the proper way. I've never leaped off of my horse, but some of you have. And it's a pretty crazy thing to see. If you've ever done it, uh, you know that it is not easy. You get on your horse, and when you're behind that chute, uh, I've seen it, and the horse's muscles are just, just quivering because it's excited. It knows exactly what it's going to do. And as soon as that chute opens, the, the, the steer runs out there, and a the horse just shoots out, almost out from underneath it. You have to hold on. And it's going full throttle after that steer. And then, oh, and then it takes guts to leap off of that horse and to land over top of a 500-pound animal with horns. That's crazy, but they do it, and to be honest, that 500-pound steer, and I just guess, I think they're around 500 pounds, that animal, who's much, much bigger than you and has equipment that is much more dangerous than anything you have, that animal could get the best of you quite easily, but if you could manage to get a hold of him just right and do everything in such a way 
to get him to submit, then he's yours. Life is the same way. It can easily get the best of you. Oh, it sure can. Sometimes it's hard just to get on your horse in the morning, let alone give him his head and let him go full throttle running out into the arena after what you want to be yours. Jesus tells us to take our lives seriously. Matthew chapter 28, he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, to spread the gospel message of salvation to everyone. And Paul talks about it in his letters. He talks about running a race. He talks about reaching a finish line. We're not just pointlessly going about our lives. We have a purpose. God has put us here in this place for a reason, each and every one of us. Take life by the horns. You've been designed to do that. Now, let's go to our text for today. We're going through 1 Timothy verse by verse, so I'm not skipping any of the verses. Um, the first one here is chapter 3, verse 1. First one for today. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him, for if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Two words to hang on to that we see stick out in the first two verses of this text. Aspires and above reproach. Now, I want to use those two words as bookends for our message today. Aspires and above reproach. And I believe Paul put these in here specifically, very neatly, to contain his text on church leaders. Now, what is aspires? Aspires. Now, first of all, you know, this is a good question to ask young people. Uh, what are your aspirations? Because it's time when you're young to start thinking about that. You know, when you're a kid, you just wake up in the morning and um, you do whatever is planned for you, or uh, you do whatever your, comes your way. But when you become a teenager or a young adult, 
You start having to make some of your own plans. You start having to get up in the morning and aspire to do something. So when you're a teenager, you start aspiring, or you should. You know what else? You also start perspiring when you're a teenager. Um, and that's a bummer uh, sometimes. But that's a natural thing that happens whether you want it to happen or not. Now, aspiring, on the other hand, isn't always a natural reaction to life. The common joke about millennials is, is that, that they don't aspire often. You know, that, that's a generalization. Of course, it's not always true, but th they, they don't have a thing to live for. And so, you know, the YouTube memes of the um, 25 or 30-year-old man sitting on the couch playing video games. Not much aspiration there. Now, we have to, in our lives, leap off of the horse and grab it by the horns. And that's actually not just for young people. It's for older folks as well, all ages. We get up in the morning. We need a, a bit of aspiration. We need to get a hold of life to seize it. Aspire. It means a hope or ambition of achieving something a hope or ambition of achieving something. Now, in the automotive world, you have naturally aspirated engines, which are the regular kinds. They just have a carburetor or fuel injection, and they just pull the uh, oxygen in and the fuel in by themselves. It just naturally goes down through the engines. And then you have unnaturally aspirated engines, I guess you would call them unnatural, they are the turbocharged engines. They have turbos on them or supercharged where it forces air down in with the fuel. So naturally aspirated and turbocharged. Which do you think reaches the finish line first? The turbocharged ones, providing that they don't blow up. Now, in your life, as we are looking at being Christians, at following Jesus, and the way that Paul writes his word to us, we understand that we need to get a hold of it, that we need to have aspirations and fuel them with the word of God, to put it in our hearts and our minds, to fuel our hope, to fuel our ambition with his word. We need to have that in mind whenever we're thinking about achieving something, achieving the goal that God has set before us. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, Paul says, whoever aspires to be a church leader desires an honorable position. So being a church leader is an honorable position. It's a good thing. It's a great thing to be a church leader. Um, this text is also... Um, entitled uh, instructions for um, elders. In some translations, you see the word overseers, um, elder, overseer, um, even pastor. All three of those terms um, basically mean the same thing as far as scripture, scripture is talking about. Um, the leadership of the church. In this church today, uh, we have elders, and they are kind of our, they are our leading group. Um, 
and you guys need to know your elders uh, by name. You need to shake their hand every Sunday and because they can help you out with a, a bunch of things. Not only can they build a new building for us to worship in, because they've been doing that, uh, but they are spiritual leaders. They are my leaders. So the things that you hear me talk about, the, the person who I am comes from my elders who put influence on me. And we discuss uh, all the governing things of our church together when we meet together. Our elders now are Larry, Darren, Randy, Bruce, and Danny. And as I said, to an extent, uh, myself, although I am led by those elders. Um, in scripture, some other words for um, the elders or the overseers that we see translated are bishop. Some churches have bishops, and that's kind of a weird word, um, but that uh, comes from the original translation of overseer. Um, presbyter, um, pastor, so several different things that mean a church leader. So now let's understand that God can use anyone in his task of spreading the gospel message. He has a role for everyone in his church. We are all many parts of one body of believers. The Lord will use all of us. But in this text here, Paul is writing to Timothy about church leaders, and he has men in his sights in this text. We know that because in chapter 2, um, verses 12 and 14, he says that women should not be teaching the men. Now, understanding this in a corporate uh, worship setting, like we are now, and uh, he says that the position of authority must be held by men. Also in um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse uh, 2, which we've already read for today, he says, he must be faithful to his wife. Other translations um, translate this to say um, husband but of one wife. We can only have one wife. That's the law right there. And I think all of us here can understand that to have a wife, you must be a man. And you must be a man to be a husband. But we don't need to discuss that um, any further. But if you aspire to be a church leader, great. That's absolutely great. The church as a whole needs leaders. The body of Christ needs people, needs men to stand up and take their position that God is calling to. Now, I believe the Lord wants every man to aspire to be the kind of man that he's laying out in these scriptures. Even if you don't hold the office of elder, you are still leading. And you don't have to have the title to be a really good leader. If you think about uh, people in your life that are really good at something, you know, I know um, I look up to Joseph very much because he's an excellent fisherman. I, I, I call him a professional fisherman every time he tells me something. And uh, he always reminds me that he doesn't make money at it, so that means he's not a professional. But he's a really good fisherman. And uh, we can be really good leaders 
And God calls us to be good leaders, even if we don't have the title of elder or overseer or pastor. So don't think that this uh, message is not for you just because you're not a specifically titled church leader. You know, and unfortunately, even if you're setting a bad example, you might still be a leader, unfortunately. Now, I have a, a steer at home, and so one of my daughters get, told me she gets embarrassed when I talk about my cattle because we have so many cattle ranchers here in this room that have hundreds and hundreds of head, and I got like five head of cattle. And so I talk like I'm a cattle rancher and everything. She's like, Dad, you don't even have cattle compared to these guys. So I apologize for that. Make no mistake, I'm not a big-time rancher. I have a few cows at home. I hope they're at home. I built a fence, but they're not always at home. So I have some cattle, but I have this one steer. And currently, currently on my property, horses and donkeys and everything put together, I think we've got about 12 head of animals. And this one steer is just a wild animal, and he leads the rest of them. The rest of them are good, man. I can spread feed on the ground. I can call them in, and they'll come, and they're nice. But that one steer comes up from behind, and he's jumping and throwing snot and everything, and all of a sudden, all the rest of them are wild, and they're gone. And he leads them by a bad example. And, boys, we can do the same thing. Yeah, you see it in school. The, the, the kid who is just refusing to, um, to obey the teacher or his parents and he's being uh, a pain in the neck and other kids somehow think that's cool sometimes. And, you know, we can be leaders in a bad way. So even if you uh, don't have the title of leader, folks are still watching you and they're still following you where are you leading them? And so this text here, God is calling us to be leaders. In these verses here, give us something to live up to, whether you have the title of elder or if you aspire to be one or if you are a man in general. God calls us to be leaders. So uh, let's dive into it. Um, this uh, text tells us some must-be's. A good leader, a good church leader, must be faithful to one wife. Faithful to your wife. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, 26 says, For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her. Husbands, love your wives gives Jesus an example. Man, you know, uh, Jesus gave his life for any day of the week. I'll take a bullet for my wife. And that's how we say it. You know, that, That's how we say we lay down our life. We'll, we'll give our life. You know, I'll take a bullet for you. Um, man, I would protect my wife with everything in me. I'd protect other people with everything I have with my life. But the rest of this verse, to make her holy and clean, Washed by the cleansing of God's word? Now, wait a second. How often do we view our wives, just if we're going to use the marriage for an example, how often do we view our wives as holy 
and clean, pure and beautiful and can do no wrong. Well, I don't know that that's always my, my image of, of other people in general. And you know, it says uh, that we need to view our wives as a gift. We husbands supposed, um, are supposed to be present in the living word of God. That's our job to be reading and to be presenting it to our wives. Um, this only seems kind of awkward sometimes. Maybe your wife is more of a reader than you are. Maybe she's uh, the one who may open the scripture and begin with prayer. And there's nothing wrong with her doing that at all. But this text is encouraging us as men to be the leaders in that. If your wife is doing it great, uh, try to outdo her in that. Now, I'm not encouraging a battle or that um, you do that. But it says that we need to lead with Scripture. Present the living word to them. And you know what the living word says is that our wives are a masterpiece, a beautiful gift to us, presented holy and clean because they are washed by the word of God. The scripture also tells us that we need to be gentle. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, says a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. Be gentle with your words. Man, we cause so much heartache because we are not doing what this verse tells us to do. We be gentle. Speak life. Uh, my, my wife tells the, the youth group kids and our kids to speak life. Whatever your words are, let it be a positive thing. Let it be a good thing, a thing that will make lives better, not something that's tearing others down or making things worse. Speak life and be gentle with your words. And, of course, men, to be a proper, a good leader, you need to be gentle physically. If you're a man who likes to be rough, who likes to scrap, then, man, I have a martial arts class each week that I would love you to come to. We get together and wrestle and, and fight and get it out in the proper way. Be gentle as a leader. Get that energy out in a proper way. Third thing that uh, this scripture tells us that we need to exercise, self-control. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Self-discipline, self-control. So we can't use the excuse saying, Oh, I can't control myself. That's just something I can't control. Um, that's not a true statement when you say, I can't control myself. It's not true. You have been given if you put your faith in Christ, and you have been given it because you have been made in his image, the ability to control yourself. Now, we need to exercise self-control in everything that wants to capture you. There's a lot of things. Is gunning for your attention. 
lot of things that want to capture you. Men, remember, you are taking life by the horns, not the other way around. That requires self-control. Some people just want life to happen to them. They don't take control of it. So we have to control ourselves so that we don't just let ourselves uh, be controlled by something else. I think about Samson. Samson in the Old Testament is this uh, lively, colorful figure of strength physically and of uh, bad decisions mentally, but in the end, God uses him. Uh, Judges chapter 14 is where you'll hear the story of Samson starting out with, and it says one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Here you go. Here's where a lot of things happen badly. Um, when he returned home, he told his father and mother, he said, a young Philistine woman uh, caught my eye, and I want to marry her. Go get her for me. Like, just reading that text here, this is a fella who doesn't have a whole lot of self-control. He tells his parents, there's a woman, I want her, go get her. The dude does other things, like he catches uh, 300 foxes, ties their tails together, sets them on fire, and turns them loose in the field. I mean, you, uh, he must have lost all his self-control if you could just catch a bunch of foxes and light them on fire. Or uh, picking up a, the jawbone of a donkey and killing the thousands of men. I mean, I get the, I don't know, maybe a jawbone of a donkey was a normal weapon back then, but I get the idea he's just like, kill him and just, oh, and then goes after them. Do they make holsters for jawbones of a donkey? I don't know, but the guy is out of control. He did not have self-control. Now, in the end, God used Samson. God used him because God can use even bad guys. So it's good to read that story and know that God used him, but boy, he lacked self-control. The scripture tells us if we're going to be a good leader, we need to have self-control. We need to be self-disciplined. Here's another thing. We need to be a good manager, a good manager of our household. Now, our household includes both uh, persons, because there are usually people in our household, um, children, wives. Um, there may be other, other people living in our household. Good managers of those. And scripture tells us all about how to do that. And also good stewards. We need to practice stewardship with our household, with the things that we own, the physical building, the, the things within the house. Are we using those things that God has blessed us with? And not taking ownership. Well, I earned the money to buy this so I can use it for whatever I want to. But rather... Uh, Hey, God has blessed me with the job and the skills to do the job, and so I use it to buy things. God has blessed me with those things, and I will use them. Be a good manager of your household. Here in a little bit, we'll talk more about what to use your household for. But this doesn't mean that there are no problems in your household. Oh, it's, it's sometimes hard for 
an elder to uh, read this scripture and, and says, you know, a good manager, because you think, boy, I, I didn't treat my, my kid or my wife very good last night, or uh, I didn't deal with that situation very well, and so I don't qualify for this. Um, this doesn't mean that there's any problems in your household. It means that when there is a problem, you deal with it in a responsible, uh, biblical way. We are addressing the problems in a way that Scripture tells us to. Be a good manager of your household. Um, the Scripture also tells us that uh, we need to overall live wisely. Live wisely. Now, being wise means you uh, don't do or say the first thing that pops in your mind. How many of you have those thoughts? You know those thoughts you should keep inside because they would only cause problems if they got outside of your head. Uh, you have to um, live wisely. That's one way of lies. A wise person holds his tongue. A wise person rolls the things around inside of his mind before he lets them out. And before he does them, uh, my wife tells, tells Flint and I all the time, if we think something is a good idea, don't do it. And I could tell you all kinds of things that, uh, that when Flint and I get together that we think are good ideas, you know, such things as, as uh, when he had the go-kart and, you know, me jumping on the bumper and pulling on the um, roll bar so that Papa Willie, both of us thought that was a good idea. That was going to be a great idea. And it ended up the go-kart standing like this and me dragging off the back and I couldn't let go because then I would hit my head on the motor and, and he couldn't steer or let off of the gas because he was too scared. And it was a bad idea. <laughs> so um, living wisely means uh, sometimes when you get those spur of the moment, oh, this is going to be a good idea, you stop and think about it. Say, what is this going to... How is this going to end up? Um, will this hurt anyone? Will this lead people in the right direction? We have to live wisely. And, and by the way, um, living wisely will give us a good reputation. The scripture talks about reputation. Um, you know, we're also told not to worry about what others think. And that is true. Um, people will think a lot of things about you, especially if you're a Christian. People are going to think, boy, those Christians, they're, you know, they, they have a faith in something that, uh, that a non-believer can't see. Uh, we have to introduce that to them. And so they think a lot of things. Those Christians are just weird. We need to put that behind us, not that let that concern us. But the reputation thing is more of a trust, an influence that those around you have for you, a good reputation. If you live wisely, you won't have to worry about that reputation. It will naturally come to you. The text also tells us that we sh um, the church leaders should be able to teach, able to teach others. Um, if we're going to be uh, following God's word, leading his church, then we're going to be able to teach the scripture um, to others. And it, does, it doesn't say we need to have a PhD uh, from a seminary. 
It doesn't say that uh, we need to have so many verses memorized. It says to be able to teach. And I know that every man here is going to be able to teach something about Jesus, about the scripture to someone else, uh, whether it be in the most simple fashion. You know what? The gospel of Jesus is simple. He came to earth. He gave his life for us so that the sin that we are plagued with can be forgiven. And then we get to go with, be with Jesus. Every one of us can teach that. This says we need to be able to teach. You know, an, another important thing about um, this teaching is that uh, we need to be reading the scripture and um, participating in a relationship with God. So make sure that you're doing that. You're reading what God says and you're being involved with him in a relationship. Uh, the, the scripture says that Jesus' word is a light for us. It tells us to hide it in our hearts, be able to teach. It also tells us to enjoy having guests in our home. Remember, we were talking about our home um, being good managers and stewards of what we have been blessed with. Um, it says we, uh, an elder must enjoy having guests in his home. You know, letting the body of Christ um, extend from our place of worship here, like today, this morning, let that extend to your place of dwelling. Enjoy taking the opportunity to sharpen one another. You know, uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, uh, a verse that um, those of us that went on the men on fire trip know, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. By the way, the men on fire trip, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, but not today. That'll be later. I think we got a video coming up, too. Um, it was a really neat trip. Uh, we hiked a mountain, and there was a bear in the next camp, and there was mountain goats, and uh, the view, 360 degrees of mountains all around. Ooh, I can't explain how magnificent that was. And we only had one blown tire, so um, it was a good trip. But as iron sharpens iron, so another friend, or so a friend sharpens another friend. You know, a lot of sharpening happens at the dinner table. A lot of growing happens at the dinner table. A lot of good things happen right there in your house as you're eating with the folks that you've invited over. And the sharpening can happen both ways. Good things can happen both ways. Jesus is always eating with other people. He's having a meal with them. You should aspire to be the kind of person who would love to provide the kind of environment where the Spirit can do His work. And this scripture says, right at your own dinner table at home. Now, those are the things that the scripture says that um, a good leader must be, should aspire to be. Um, it also tells us some things that a good leader should not be. Now, the first thing is a heavy drinker. It says you should not be a heavy drinker. You know, and I can't make a, the case for complete temperance, um, which would be abstinence of alcohol 100%, although that's how I lead my life. But I can say that uh, the, the biblical, it's, it's not a biblical rule, but we read, because we read a lot about folks drinking wine, even Jesus in the scripture. I'm not sure exactly what wine was like back then, um, but. Uh, knowing that alcohol affects the mind, 
That's what alcohol does. It, it, it affects the way we think. And God says that we're a masterpiece. God created us in his image, and he likes us that way. Why would we want to change something that God made? One thing is for sure, um, don't lose yourself in alcohol. If, uh, if you're going to drink once in a while, this scripture says do not be given to alcohol. Do not be a heavy drinker. Do not go to that point to where you aren't yourself anymore. And I don't know that we're always good, uh, good judges on that. This verse also tells us uh, not to be violent and quarrelsome. Uh, violent and quarrelsome. Um, that can be, uh, you know, the violence can be the physical thing where we need to have something to outlet that energy, uh, you know, mechanic work, sports, something like that. Quarrelsome. Um, don't be the guy that always wants to argue about everything. You know, those guys, everything, even if you agree with them, they'll find a way to argue with you. Um, don't be quarrelsome. Um, and don't be a lover of money. Um, we'll get into this in a few few weeks because um, 1 Timothy addresses the love of money. Um, in chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It says the root of all kinds of evil. And it can be used to pull us from Jesus. Matthew uh, chapter 19, Jesus tells us, um, tells his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Kind of silly, a little bitty hole of a needle and a camel, it would be easier for it to go through there. So this tells us that Boy, money can get the best of us. Don't let it. Take life by the horns. Now let's review. Review all of these here. Um, we are told that we need to be faithful to our wives, to have one wife. We are told that we need to be gentle, that we need to exercise self-control, that we need to be good managers of our household, to live wisely, to be able to teach, and to enjoy having guests. And we're told that we are not to be a heavy drinker, that we're not to be violent, not to be quarrelsome, and not to be a lover of money. And if you can get all of these things under control, you can get all of them, then you will be, the other word that we discussed at the, at the first of the sermon, above reproach. Above reproach. Now, what, what does above reproach mean? It means that no criticism can be made against you. Nobody can criticize you um, in a truthful way. It, it translates, the literal uh, Greek word for above reproach translates to saying, not being able to take hold of. This means the Christian um, leader, the church leader, shouldn't be able to be pulled down um, into uh, a place that is not honorable. 
uh, he has nothing to be hidden. He lives out in the open and is not afraid of living in the open. So being above reproach, being aspiring to be a solid messenger of the gospel. If you are aspiring to be a solid leader, a solid messenger of the gospel, if you're aspiring to be above reproach, then live a life that will draw others towards Jesus. Jesus took life by the horns. And he did it for you. He did it for all of us. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. He says, how will folks know, the scripture tells us, that Jesus died for us and was raised again? How will they know that Jesus took life by the horns for us unless we tell them, unless someone preaches, unless someone teaches, unless someone leads others to him? My question today is, will you take seriously the, God, the life that God has given you? Will you take it by the horns and will you follow him and will you lead others to him? Will you pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for the scripture that you've laid out before us today. Thank you for, your, for the opportunity to share it. And Lord, I pray that you will raise up leaders that will be strong for you, God. Strong uh, messengers of the hope that only you can provide. Lord, I pray that you will guide us in worship in this last song, God. And that you will continue to set us on fire with your Holy Spirit as we leave this building. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.